Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 34 this afternoon. So, over the next few chapters of Mark, we will hear stories about Jesus' miracles, but actually it's Jesus' teaching that still remains His priority. And while the religious people, while they are, I guess, um, debating points and debating ideas, Jesus is the one who speaks with real power because He is the one with the authority. And the people, they are absolutely amazed at His teaching. Just, it just blows their mind. They, they've never heard anything quite like this before. See, as far, as far as they are concerned, as far as they are concerned, these are the words of a simple carpenter from Nazareth. So they're really confused. See, Mark wants us to meet the real Jesus. I think I've mentioned that before, but Mark wants us to meet this guy, this real historic character. And yet this, this man is no ordinary man because this man is fully God. So, so far, as we've gone through the book of Mark, we have seen Jesus, this man, who is the Christ, who is the Son of God, but also we've, we've began to see other things about him. See, he was born into this world. He came and lived in this world into a very volatile time in Jewish history. We heard, looked at this last week. And the people around that particular time, all they are looking for is a military, a political leader to come and try and, and do something here. But the type of revolution that Jesus has in mind, very different. Very different ideas. Also, we have seen this man, Jesus, and he has come down from heaven to earth, but he doesn't float along on a little cloud, happily looking down at everybody else. Hiya. No, he walks the streets. He gets his feet dirty. He faces temptations. He faces problems. He knows what it is to feel pain, to suffer. This guy really understands. He understands people's needs. But more importantly than that, as we will find out this afternoon, he has the power to do something about them. That's where we're going. So this afternoon, I'm going to read two stories to you. You know, sometimes, sometimes we can become so familiar with the story, particularly if you've been a Christian for a while and you've read the Bible a little bit, you can become so familiar with these stories that we lose the amazement factor. And my prayer is as we go through this this afternoon that we just get a glimpse and just become amazed at this person of Jesus. Yeah? Let's just pray. Father, I just pray now, open our eyes to see Jesus and all his wonder in all his glory, in all his power, help us, help us just to be amazed at this incredible person. So Holy Spirit, just come and lead us and challenge us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in verse 21, first story, story number one. It says this, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. 
The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, just in a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, what do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed. They asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching the people. And in that meeting, that particular day, there's this man who is being possessed by a demon. And I wonder how long that man had been coming along to that synagogue. And nobody had been aware, nobody had realized this, the difficulty this man is facing, the oppression this man is under. And yet when Jesus arrives in the room, there's always a reaction. And demons know who this guy is because this guy is the Holy One of God. The demon at least got that bit right. And the first thing that Jesus does is say to the demon, be quiet, before he frees the man from his oppression. So with one word, Jesus says to him, he says, shut up and get out. And in that moment, such is the power of Jesus, that that demon is gone. In the name of Jesus. I wonder, can you imagine for a moment if a PR team got around Jesus at that particular moment? Can you imagine they fun? They, they would be so excited, wouldn't they? Imagine this, just this amazing demonstration of power. And, and these guys come around and they say to you, now you've got to ride your, this, wave of your, of, of pub, this, this, this wave of your success. You've got to make, all the, make sure you get good publicity in all the papers. You can imagine them going before Jesus the next time around and says, guys, this is Jesus the Christ, exorcist. Healer, wonderful teacher, incredible. Imagine the publicity right across all the papers. Jesus does the complete opposite. He tells the demon to be quiet. This king may have authority over evil spirits. This king may have authority so that demons run at the very presence of him, at the power of God in his life. This king does not want, not just want people to be told who he is. He wants people to discover who he is for themselves. He wants them to discover that he is the Messiah, that he is the king. And Jesus is very much in favor of the slow-grow method of discipleship, a form of discipleship that takes a lifetime, and then it's just beginning. And guys, we're in a rush sometimes, aren't we? 
we're in such, we, we, we want things done yesterday and we're such a rush. Listen, we need to spend time in this book. We need to spend time reading it and understanding it and learning who is this man, Jesus. We need to spend time in prayer, in His presence, allowing the Holy Spirit to minister into our hearts, into our minds. We need to spend time as we grow in Him, in our knowledge of Him, in our understanding of Him. Guys, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. It's not just for the short term. We're here for the long haul, aren't we? I hope we are. I guess in our secular society, we don't talk an awful lot about spiritual warfare or about demons in particular. It doesn't really make good chat over Sunday lunch, possibly. Um, it's sort of thing we tend really to, to want to avoid. But you know what? I, th- I think that is exactly what Satan would want us to do. You know, the stereotypical view of Satan, the man in the red suit with the horns and the pitchfork in one hand that people laugh at, that becomes sort of slightly humorous, sort of the, the, sort of the, the, the thing you, you sort of you read about in, in, in fictional books or in watching movies. Satan's quite happy with that. That in the UK is pretty much what majority of people think who Satan is. Listen, guys, he is very much real. His demons are very much real. A few, few months back, somebody wanted to come along to, to church, actually when we, when we were in our, our last building. Didn't turn up. Texted me afterwards to say that he had got pretty close to the church, but he was unable to go any further. When I questioned him a little bit more as what the problem was, he says there was something blocking the way. Nothing physical. Couldn't get through. And Satan will go to any length to stop people from hearing the gospel, from meeting with Jesus. And we need to wake up to the fact that he is real, that he does exist, that he is out to stop the spread of the gospel as much as he possibly can. And listen, he's not just limited to the Bible times. He's not just limited to foreign countries like Africa or Indonesia. He is very much at work in Chester, oppressing, even possessing people even today. The fact is that when the gospel is proclaimed, when it starts to make inroads into society, we will find that there will be almost certainly some level of backlash. And some of you know that. Some of you have already experienced that perhaps in your own lives, but that's, that's the reality of it. Satan hates church plants. He hates, he hates churches for starters, and he will do whatever he can to try and stop the work of Jesus in this city. So we must be strong. We must be courageous. We must guard our hearts, our minds. We must stand up for truth and for purity we must stand up for Jesus. Story written by a guy called Sam Storm. Now, Sam Storm is an American guy, but he's a fairly conservative evangelical, really, I would classify him if you haven't heard of him. He writes in one of his books about, it, about a, a thing that happened in, in the church shortly after he, he took over the church he is now in. And they were holding a conference one particular day, and 
just before the conference started, somebody came into the back of one of the rooms, and he started to build what looked like a little altar. The guy was then started to walk around the altar chanting and singing and speaking. It was obviously some sort of, some form of, of witchcraft. The guy then comes up to Sam's storm, and Sam describes in his book how this guy comes up. He's no closer than about three feet in front of him, and he says, what I felt was this, this, just this energy, this force just pressing against me. Never felt anything quite like this. I felt nauseous. I felt dizzy. I couldn't think straight. My, my, I tried to speak, but my tongue wasn't able to move. One of the guys in his church just came over to him, and he put his arm around. He said, Sam, can you feel that? He says, he says I'm, I was just glad that somebody else was feeling what I was feeling. I thought I was going mad. He says, in the past, I have sensed demonic presences in people, but never anything quite as tangible as this. I was feeling something physical that was not physical. They eventually, they got the man to the back of the room. They tried to have a conversation with him. He wasn't for, for chatting. And eventually, things went from bad to worse. They had to call the police in. The, the guy was removed from the building. Two days later, they're having a prayer meeting one evening, and his wife, Anne, is on the door, and in walks the very same man. And as he walks in, Anne describes how the stench, the smell that she smelt was like nothing she'd ever smelt before. He walks straight past her into the prayer room, and Sam says, I smelt him before I saw him. The aroma just filled this entire room. He says it was the most repulsive thing he'd ever smelt in his life. He says it wasn't like body odor. This was something else. If you'd asked me, he said, before that moment, do demons smell? I would have said no. After that, I would have said yes. Sometimes they do. They were able to get that man into one of the, the counseling rooms, and Sam and a couple of the other guys sat down with him, and this time they began to have a conversation, and he began to open up with them, and he told them that how for many years he had been involved in a vast um, array of demonic, satanic, occultic activities and witchcraft. And as they spent some time, they carefully and prayerfully shared the gospel with this man. And over a period of about an hour or so, they saw his countenance change. And that particular evening, that man was transformed. He was set free from demonic oppression, and he was transformed into the kingdom of God's Son. That evening, he met Jesus. Sam Storm describes how he goes on. This man later becomes one of the house group leaders in his church. Such is the demon-defeating, the Christ-exalting power of the Holy Spirit. I don't tell you that to frighten anybody or to, to make us nervous, but to make us fully aware that spiritual warfare is still absolutely real, that demons are, are still at work in our country, in our situation, and we must be on our guard against them. But I tell you more than that, because I want you to hear this. 
that as a spirit-filled believer, you have got nothing to fear because as a spirit-filled believer, you have authority in Jesus. Because he is the one with the power. He is the one who has all authority. Guys, that is why we take authority in the name of Jesus over every demonic force. And we command in Jesus' name that they leave. And such is Jesus' power that they must go. That they must go. Folks, we need men and women in this church who stand strong for Jesus, who stand strong in His power, who know that their authority doesn't lie in themselves, but lies in their King, in King Jesus. And we stand in His strength, not in our strength. Listen, there are a lot easier things you can do than, than get involved in a church plant. Honestly, there are. There are a lot of easier things you can do than stand up in your college or your school or your university or in your workplace for Jesus. But listen, is he not worth it? Hey? I think he's worth it. Romans chapter 12 tells us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, we can be confident. We can stand and say against all the forces of evil and all the forces of hell, we can stand here because Jesus Christ is on his throne, because he reigns because he has absolute authority, not in our strength, but in our great king. That's why we stand. Second story we come to, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they took, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her hand, and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he could not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Simon, Peter's mother, is just very simply healed by Jesus. And what Jesus does, he goes over to her and he just very simply just takes her by the hand. And as he lifts her up, fever's gone. It's almost too easy, isn't it? <laughs> there's, there's, there's no fuss here. There's, there's no drama. It's just he takes her by the hand and he just lifts her up. And she, in that moment, is completely and utterly healed. 
But the impact of this healing we see in verse 34, because what we see is that later on that evening, the sick come, the demon-possessed come to Jesus, and He heals many of them. He prays for them and heals many of them. But perhaps not all of them. And we see Jesus' love, and we see Jesus' compassion, and we see His touch. He touches sick people. I don't know about you, I'm not fussy on sick people. No harm to anybody if you're feeling a bit. But all that sort of heaving and nausea, and then and it all comes out, and it's just all over. The, it's messy, it's smelly, it's disgusting. It's just not my scene. Listen, if you... If you want a bit of sympathy, you go to Rachel. She's really good with that sort of stuff. Don't come to me, okay? <laughs> Please don't come to me. <laughs> Listen, Jesus, he's not aloof. He's not distanced from people. He goes up to these sick people, and he takes them by the hand, and he touches them. There's no, there's no, there's no bacterial wash in those days. What's he thinking of? But he touches them, and he loves and cares. He shows real compassion for these people. I hope you see that. I hope hope you see that in, in Jesus. You see his love, his care, his compassion for these. Mark is a man of very, very few words. As we go through the gospel, you'll notice that. He just says what needs to be said, and he rushes on to something else. So, when he includes a story, there's a reason for it. So, the question we should be asking ourselves, what is the reason for Jesus including this particular story? Now, if I was writing this gospel, particularly in the first chapter, you want to hook people in, don't you? So, you put something really dramatic in here, except he goes for this simple fever healing. So, why, why, why this particular story? See, we could read this as some form of selfish act. Jesus heals this woman so she can make him dinner. Now, in my mind, that's a fairly good reason. I, don't, I have no real problem with that, but I think, I think there's probably something bigger going on here. And one of Mark's great themes running through the Gospels is that we are rescued for a purpose. We are saved to serve. You like that one? Saved to serve. Hours of work in that one. Saved to serve. And God has called us to honor Him. We are saved for a purpose. We are saved to serve. And this simple story introduces to us a challenge that we will see repeated over and over again through this gospel mark. And it's this question, are you showing the true marks of repentance? Remember John the Baptist, the guy with the freaky hair and the bobbly eyes and and sort of half crazed and who shouted at people, repent and be baptized. Remember him? Yeah, some of you do. The older ones, maybe. Um, And then Jesus comes along, 
and, and he's preaching. In fact, his preach, his, he's saying something rather similar. He says, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Same word again. Repent and believe the good news. So this word repentance seems fairly important in both these guys' messages. Now, repentance is when we are walking one way, we're keeping going, we're after, we're just following our own desires, our selfishness, our sin, and, and God's, well, we keep going away, and then we just turn right around, and we turn our back on our sin, we turn our back on, on that stuff, because we hear the call of Jesus, and we fix our eyes on Him, and we walk towards Jesus Christ. When I first became a Christian, I was basically, we were basically told, you become saved so that you just get into heaven. Very simple. Saved, heaven. I don't think Mark thinks that. As far as Mark is concerned, he says we are called for a purpose. This woman, she is healed to serve. She is healed to make some dinner. You are called for a purpose. Yes, it's exciting the fact that one day we will meet Jesus. We will see him face to face, but we are called to do something here and now. So what has God called you to do? Well, I think the Great Commission in Matthew 28 certainly is one of the things, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's pretty clear. But actually, as individually, God has called you for a particular purpose. Some of you perhaps started new jobs. Some of you maybe new schools. Perhaps you started something new in college, something that will later on become your career. That is equally as important calling over your life that God uses you in that area wherever God has placed you to be. Just as important as what you do within church, within the stuff here, but also perhaps God has called you to do something through what we do here in this church to become part of this church plant, to see God's kingdom built here in Chester. What's God been saying to you? What's He calling you to do and to be? What also then about this whole, we're talking obviously about healing and particularly about freedom from the demonic and that type of thing. We believe, at least I hope we believe, that Jesus still heals today. It is biblical. But we, so do we expect that to happen? Are we praying for that sort of thing to happen? A few weeks back, we went over to hear Terry Virgo speak. Um, some of you may have been there. Some of you weren't. Terry Virgo, if you don't know, is the guy who heads up New Frontiers. He, he started in a small group down in Brighton many years ago. The movement is about 700 churches strong, give or take a few. Mighty man of God. As he finished preaching, he called people forward for prayer afterwards. I'd been asked to become part or just to get involved in the, in the prayer team got to confess, I mainly stood and watched. Um, I stood behind Terry. Terry was praying for people who had bad backs, and sometimes bad backs can be due to postural problems, and very often because my one leg is a little bit different length than the other one. And Terry sat people down on the, on the, on the seat, held the legs in front of them, and sure enough, many of them, there's maybe, inch, maybe two inches difference in their leg length. And as Terry prayed for them, just watched. His legs just grew. That doesn't normally happen, does it? So I watched another one, just to make sure. And again, God is there. God's presence is there. God loving people. God concerned about people's pains and people's problems. God 
just impacting people's lives. Jesus still heals today. He loves. He loves to bring healing. He loves to touch people's lives today. And God's kingdom is not just about spiritual healing. Now, let me just quickly say, I absolutely believe, before I get knocked off here, I actually believe that the greatest miracle of all is when someone meets Jesus for the very first time. There's nothing greater, there's nothing, there's nothing more incredible when someone is brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when someone comes from spiritual death into spiritual life. It is the greatest miracle that can happen to anyone, the greatest healing that can happen to anyone. But listen, God's kingdom is also about physical healing. It's also about emotional healing. It's about poverty. It's about people struggling with situations and problems. And that is why we pray for people. That is why we still believe that God is at work here today. And it's not just even by what we do within the confines of these walls. That's why we've guys out on the streets before church. That's why over the next month or so, we're hoping that we're going to start some, an opportunity for folks to, at least once a month to begin with, to pray for people out there in the streets to see what God, just let, let's just go out there, see what God's got to say. And we believe that God will heal some people there, that God's going to impact some lives out there. So let's get out there. Let's, let's be faithful. Let's step out in faith and see what God will do for us. Do I believe that everyone we'll pray for will be healed? I have to say no to that one. God is not a God that we, some sort of magic worker. He's not sort of a God that we have at our beck and call or we tie on a bit of a string. We give him a few tugs every so often and then just, you know, he'll just do what we want to do. God is sovereign. And God will do as he wills, as he chooses to do. It's not about us. It's all about him and what he wants. And his, he's much bigger than we are. You see, for now, we get a glimpse of heaven, but there's a day coming when we will be with Jesus, when we will see Him face to face on that day. These bodies be perfect, new bodies, no sickness, no pain, no suffering. Until then, we are called to show people God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So therefore, we pray for the sick. We pray and expect God to do things. And when God answers our prayers, we point them to Jesus. We tell them that God who can heal you also changes hearts as well. So how is this possible? Was well, he Jesus' power over demons, over disease? was because he lived perfectly and fully in obedience, filled with the Holy Spirit. He is just completely filled with the Holy Spirit. That is also how you can see people healed, why you can see lives changed. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us that the same Spirit that lives in Jesus 
if you're a believer, also lives in you. Isn't that amazing? Not to excite somebody here, hopefully. (laughs) The same Spirit that lives in Jesus Christ actually lives in you, lives in me. So therefore, when I step out in faith, when I pray for folks, God changes lives. People get healed. Lives are touched because the Holy Spirit is at work. Listen, it's not about me or you or some big name that may come and go. It's about the the working of the Holy Spirit. Simply this, God can and will use you. Are you willing? Are you willing? Let's stand together. (coughs) Father, we thank you, Lord, for your power. Lord, we, we stand here, Lord, not in our strength, but in your strength. Thank you that you have saved us, that you have rescued us. Thank you, Lord, that you have just spoken such wonderful things over us. Thank you we are adopted and accepted into your families. But Lord, now I pray that you would come and just by your Spirit, just minister to us. Lord, equip us for the task before us. Lord, equip us, Lord, as we go into into um, our homes, into our schools, as we go into our workplaces, Lord, into this community, Lord. And may, may we, Lord, bring your Spirit and see lives changed through your power, we pray. We ask that in Jesus' precious name.